This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to Talking Halos. It's Derek C. Apollo with my co-host, my partner in crime, John Crane, in a stressful night. And let me say it again, stressful night after that ninth inning. Angels win tonight 6-4 to four over the Cardinals. They lose 2-3 of three in this series, and they're on their way home. John, how you feeling? Uh, yeah, very stressful. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan guy who just... I know that's not the competitive nature of uh, baseball, you know, but uh, I really, you know, wish they'd have lobbed a a fat one to him, his last at bat, with St. Louis fans on their feet cheering for him. And, uh, you know, and then he popped that little blooper and got out. Uh, And then all things went, then then all hell went wild. (laughs) And it was a stressful ending. So, anyways, but I'm good. I'm good. It's a little weird. Watching that game, I mean, I've been so frustrated this entire series that the Angels' bats have been just awful. Pitching's actually been decent for most of it. And then you get to the ninth, you finally have a nice lead, you're going to put this away, and they nearly give it away. Jake Jewell, I don't think Jake's going to be up at the be up at the big boys much longer here. He's going right back down. He's got up, going right back down. What a horrible performance tonight. And Hanzo Robles... And Hanzo Robles wasn't much better. Yeah, but who's this Tyler Skaggs that we've seen in the last two games? I like much, it. About time he got his stuff in sync, right? Absolutely. Now let's get Andrew Heaney just to tighten it up and fall a little bit in line, and we'll all start to feel a little better. We've got Griffin Canning, and ah, if we could just get our pitching with some consistency. Boy, howdy, we'd be much better. We'd be much. This would be a much happier podcast. All the time. Well, let me flip it around. How about our hitting with better consistency? Okay. 
One thing oh, at a time. I, you know, everybody complains <laughs> about our pitching. They, 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 everybody complains about our pitching. Nobody complains about our offense because we got Mike Trout. We got, whoa, you know, every, and then a lot of people still like uh, uh, pool holes. And, uh, you know, maybe Tommy Listellis leveled it out maybe a little bit, but he's still, he's still a solid performer. But I am complaining. I'll tell you why. Because look at how things went this weekend. Look at how they, well, you take Shohei Otani out of the lineup, you take your DH out of the lineup, take, they, they have, they're limited. That basic nine, and I think part of the problem is they've been switching around this lineup all year long. They've been moving guys, maneuvering guys. You know, all the one week, David Fletcher's hitting number one, hitting, um, one lead week, off. David Fletcher's hitting leadoff, okay? Next week, we have. Cole Calhoun trying leadoff. Then we have Tom Listella hitting leadoff. Man, pick a guy. And there are some people who say, well, what are you talking about? Or batting orders doesn't really matter that much. Yes, it does. When you know how the person in front of you hits, and you know who's sitting behind you and how they hit, it changes your entire mentality. People don't like having their, their, their order changed. They don't like having their spot in the lineup changed. It messes with you mentally. Don't say it doesn't. And don't call a person weak for not liking how they're changed. It does matter. Players are players of routine. They like a routine. Who doesn't like a routine? I agree. You want consistency. Give them some consistency. And again, I, I just, uh, I'm just going to complain every time Otani's not in the lineup. The man's not pitching. Uh, I know he's recovering, but boy, it sure is nice to have him in the lineup every night. Well, he'll be back in the lineup on Tuesday, but man, it, it sucks that he doesn't really have a position to play right now. They need him. If anything, I would hope they'll get him out in the field just learning a position because he cannot hit right now against National League teams. Except for one, one at bat. One at bat. Nice at bat mm-hmm. by him tonight, by the way. Nice at bat by him. So, all that said, Angels won 6-4. They go home. They're, they're road trip. It's, I guess you can call it successful. They they win, you know, they go what, 6-5? Three, three, three of four in Toronto. Three of four in Toronto and one of three in St. Louis, right? And then Tampa Bay. They go 2-2 two and two out there. Tamp- oh, yeah, Tampa Bay. So yeah, six you're right. 6-5 okay. on the trip. All right. I mean, we'll take a 6-5 and five road trip. Who wouldn't? Um the problem I have with it is, again, consistency. Their bats went dead this series against a couple pitchers, really, they should have hit, by the way. Walk on the first game, they should have hit. Didn't happen. Just didn't happen. It's just um, disappointing to me they didn't hit more. I was pleased to see Pujols get his home run yesterday. It would have been wonderful to see him hit a home run today. That grand slam opportunity, wish it would have happened. I agree. How about and I, I read something that, that today about we, you know Waka was actually uh, a part of the he was a uh, prospect that they got from the Albert Pujols trade, ironically. The so he trade. pitched against no, Albert's Albert return. Part uh, no, you know a compensation compensation pick. Okay, there yes, you go. compensation pick. There you go. Very All fascinating. Right. Well, yeah. All right, folks, we're just getting started here, but if you like what we're doing, please check us out on, on Apple Music. Subscribe. We'd appreciate it. We'd also appreciate a five-star review there. Help us with the charts. If you want us to earn it, hey, great. Email us at talkinghales at gmail.com and give us your feedback. If you're a new listener and enjoying the show, 
please do us a solid here and send a text to a fellow Angels fan. Let them know about our podcast. It would mean the world to us. And you may just see John wandering the lot to Anaheim Stadium with little cards about our podcast. Don't run from him. He's a nice guy, I promise. Okay? I promise. Could be coming. Could be coming. Could be coming. Okay. So we've talked about the games in a general sense. I don't think there's a whole lot more for us to discuss. By the way, I, that double play against the Angels tonight, wow. Did you see it? The double play against the Angels. The glove flip from the second baseman. That, oh, uh, yeah. Yes, 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 guess, yes. Hey, got to give props or props. That was a beautiful double play. Uh, I guess this podcast really becomes about, at least for this, the rest of this first segment here, Albert Pujols. And what were your thoughts in the series overall? seeing him go back to St. Louis, and what are your thoughts on Pujols as a player? Well, you know, I, I mean, whenever I think of Albert Pujols, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is not necessarily as an angel. I think of that World Series against the Texas Rangers, where he was Barry, Barry Bonds on steroids. He just, every time he came up, you knew he was going to do something. Well, hold on, and, John. Hold on, hold on, John. Um, but. I think Barry Bonds was Barry Bonds on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to point that out. Not 100% sure on that. I think he had some kind of cream. But I think That's- Barry Bonds was Barry Bonds on steroids. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Barry Bonds not on steroids. And uh, I just, that was such a, he was just unstoppable, that World Series. I think on that, and uh he, I mean, he's just a first class. He's always been a first class player. He's he's very charitable with the. Uh, he's got a foundation, and he's just a, he's a class player. Um, I you know I, I was I don't think anybody did wasn't doing backflips the day they signed Albert Pujols to this contract. Now you know eight nine years later we're 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 you know we're feeling buyer's remorse, but uh, you know the the man is a Hall of Famer. And just a solid player and still got a little punch in him and still a leader, still a, 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 a loyal friend of Mike Trout. And we get to see history every night he steps on the field. So, uh, you know, I, I wish we had more offense from him, but it is what it is. All right, folks, with all that in mind, we went over to St. Louis ourselves and talked to Locked On Cardinals Moose Michaels to get his thoughts in the series. He and I had a discussion earlier just as the game ended. And, well, here you go. Check it out. Moose Michaels from Locked On Cardinals with his point of view on Albert Pujols and the series itself. All right, folks, I'm here with Moose Michaels, the host of the Locked On Cardinals podcast. And we're just kind of following up with him and wanting to get in with Moose here about what Albert Pujols meant to St. Louis, what we got from this series, and I guess the history of it all. So, Moose, how you doing? Pretty good, Derek, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I was going to be on there earlier, but uh, different events, I guess, in life have prevented that. But, hey, we can talk about pool holes now because, honestly, that's what this entire series is about to the city of St. Louis. I get the sense that even like tonight when the Angels are up 2 nothing and Pujols comes to the plate, has a chance to hit a grand slam or whatever, I, I, I could tell there was a sense of, uh, what should we do here? How should we... Chew. We we love to see him hit a home run here, but it would it would put us down <laughs> six runs. Uh, what is the feeling around Albert Pujols to this day and and this series? You know, it, it was kind of funny because I I remember distinctly in 2011 uh, when when he was a free agent 
and the Cardinals were in a bidding war with the Marlins and with the Angels. Or no, actually, it was just the Marlins at the time. Nobody knew the Angels were even involved. And uh, I knew the Angels had just signed C.J. Wilson. And then I woke up that morning. Uh, I was doing overnights at a radio station in Kentucky, and I saw that Pujols had signed with the Angels. And I was like, man. And and here's what Pujols meant to the city of St. Louis. And even though that happened, I remember that day thinking, well, the Angels in the American League, I guess I'll have to be somewhat of an Angels fan now because that's where Albert's going. Nobody hated Pujols uh, when he left. And I believe he still got a big impact on the city there. So fast forward eight years, we've got this series going on, and he comes to the plate, uh, down 2 nothing like you talked about, the bases are juiced. And I don't know if you noticed, everybody was cheering his name and booing John Gant for throwing balls. Uh, everybody wanted to see him hit a slam out of the park because the thing about Pujols is, is he is a, he, he is a legit hall of fame player. And what you were witnessing there was probably his final at bat in Bush stadium ever, unless by some crazy happenstance, the Cardinals and angels meet in the world series. Uh, cause I don't, it took eight years to get them back at Bush stadium. And who knows how long it's going to be before that happens again. And who knows if he's going to be healthy. So that home run that he hit in uh, game two of the series and then the, uh, the chance for a grand slam and he goes two for four, this whole series, Derek, was sold out months in advance just to see uh, Albert come back to St. Louis. Uh, because no matter what anybody might say, and we love Paul Goldschmidt, we love Yadier Molina, who holds was as close as the thing, he was as close as someone can come to being the next Dan Musial. It's a little bit different for us out here. You know, uh, there are many fans who have criticized Pujols, and perhaps unfairly, because he signs this massive deal, and he's never lived up to that deal. We basically paid for what he's done in the past, and not for the guy we got. He went from being someone who hit over 300 every year to a a player who's averaged with a team since he's got here since 258. We've, We've had some... Decent years from him, but he's never lived up to the billing for us. And then we look back and and we realize he's had three thousand over three thousand hits, over six hundred home runs, over two thousand RBIs, and we know we've, we're seeing history, but we didn't get the best of him. You know, you guys did. So, all that in mind, can you tell us how special he was for those who didn't really pay attention to the National League all back then? Okay, well. Uh... There, there's a there's a real quick and easy way to do this. Let me let me just see if I can pull this graphic up. Um, Albert Pujols was such a special talent. Number one, he was taken so late in the in the draft. All right, I think he was like some four hundred some odd round pick overall. Uh, but you guys have Mike Trout, and I believe everybody would say that Mike Trout is by and far the best player in baseball. Right. I think would, you, so. would you agree with that? Okay. So, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me right now. I'm trying to find that. I believe it was at the ESPN. But no matter how good he's been in his first, uh, what is it, seven seasons? Is it seven, six seasons? Six or seven seasons he's been with the Angels. You compare that to Albert Pujols' first six to seven years with the Cardinals, and Pujols blows him away in every category. Because when he was in his prime in his 20s, at the top of his game, you just didn't mess with Pujols, period. 
You couldn't you couldn't pitch to him because he didn't have a hole in his swing, at least through his twenties. Uh, in fact, until the last season with the Cardinals, 2011 was the first time in his entire career that he hit less than 300. He hit 299. The guy was, and when they call him the machine, that's what he that's what he was. Now, keyword there was. I know he's not been that for the Angels, and uh, it's there was some red flags in that last season with the Cardinals as well. Mm-hmm. We've talked about but that. As far, but as far as as far as what it was. Uh, when he was coming, you know, coming up to St. Louis in the 2000s, you know, you look at 2000 and, uh, what is it, 2008, I think he batted like 350-something, something crazy like that. He, okay, and I could go on and on about Pujols. I guess the best, the biggest thing to say about the guy is it's one of the few times where the player was almost the franchise, if that makes sense. And it, it's, it's not the kind of player you're going to see all the time. Mike Trout is a generational player. He's the best player in the game. Was he Pujol, though? Like, in his prime? No. It's like saying, oh, man. It's like looking back at some of the greats. I mean, was Pujol as good as, you know, Cy Cobb or Babe Ruth? I don't know, because he didn't play in that time. And we don't know what Mike Trout would have done in that era either when everything was juiced. But you take a look at his stats, uh, Pujol's stats. Uh, 2008? He batted 357. Yeah, and his OPS was was well over a thousand, and he did that for nearly four years in a row. And it was just insane watching this guy hit because every time he came up, you knew something special was going to happen. So it's it, it makes me a little sad watching what he is now because you see that he's got holes in his swing. You see that he's lost a lot of his step. And then you take a look at it, and you go, man, this guy's still got three years left on this contract, and his, his career batting average is sinking lower. It's 301 right now. You know, another three years of this is going to be under 300. You know, that's the kind of thing you look at. And, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Angels, I don't know what you think about it, Derek, and I don't know what Angels fans might say to me. Part of me wishes he would hang it up. Because he doesn't have to do anything else. He's 18 years into a career. He's got the longevity. He's a Hall of Fame-bound guy. What else has he got to prove? Well, it's interesting you say that. I've been, we've been contemplating this for a while, and and I look at him as, you're right, first. First off, you're, you're right about the red flags in his last season in St. Louis. We saw them. The numbers all showed them. And... That's what kind of baffled me about the Angels willing to pay him so much money. And it actually it blows it away even more that the Marlins are willing to pay him even more, and he chose not to go to the Marlins. But I guess what really bothers Angels fans now is not really personal towards him. It's the fact that his contract really buries the payroll. $28 million, $29 million to one guy, and it really kind of puts you in a, in a hole there where you could probably go out there and get more, someone more productive or invest that money somewhere else if it wasn't on the books. So at this point, you're, you're looking at an Angels franchise that over the next, I'm guessing, year is going to be trying to find a way to move him out. And there's no way you're trading him. So you're going to you know, try and kind of force him, I believe, what's going to happen to make a decision to go. Because... It's, it's evident at this point that he's on his last legs. The, the players love him. 
the, the players love him, and there's a lot of folks, a lot of fans have an issue with him, and I think it's really just based on the fact that the payroll has nothing to do with him personally. They'll say, well, he acts, he's he's aloof, or he is a jerk, or whatever, and I've never really seen evidence of that. I've never seen evidence of that. At, at, at the root of it, I believe it comes down to the contract, and I don't think that people really appreciate him until much later in time on the Angels' side, because... They've never seen how great he could be in an Angels uniform. They only see the guy who's hitting 240, 250, 260, so on and so forth. That's what's going to happen. Well, baseball, baseball is definitely a, what have you done for me lately kind yes. of sport. And you, when you're talking about when you're talking about Mike Trout, for example, and the numbers he's put up and Albert Pujols has put up, and you know Albert had some protection in the lineup in St. Louis. Mike hasn't had a lot of that protection, and he's been hitting in a two and three hole most of the time. So the numbers are going to they're going to look different, and I guess a lot of us who have watched this game now, watched Trout and Pujols play there for as long as they have, they're wishing, you know, they're, they're, they're wondering what could have been. What if we would have gotten three years of, two or three years of Max Pujols, you know, the, the guy that we all know who he was. And he already is the guy who's driven in Mike Trout almost 200 times. What what could have been had he had a couple more years in that swing? You know what I'm saying? Well, here let me. I found that I found those stats I was telling you about. This uh, and I want to give credit to him. It's at High Heat Stats on Twitter, mm-hmm. and this is through 858 career games. Now, granted, this is like you said, Pujols had a pretty good lineup. They had Jimmy Edmonds, Scott Rowland in there. Uh, who knows who else, you know, over the years from 2001 to 2011. That being said, through 858 career games, Trout, 189 doubles, 39 triples, 184 home runs, 513 walks, 826 strikeouts, his slash lines, 308, 408, 567. I think anybody would take that, right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So here's Pujols, through 858 career games, uh, 237 doubles, 11 triples, 229 home runs, 453 walks, 369 strikeouts. His slash line was 331, 419, 626. Now, again, it it does bear mentioning you brought that up, that the lineup pools, the Cardinals lineups from pretty much ever back in the 2000s were always pretty stacked. Uh, I think they only ever had one. No, they've only had... It's one or two losing seasons in the last 19 years. So it's, uh, it's, that, that does bear mentioning. But with Trout, if you could have Max Pujols, let's just say from 2010 and 2011 batting behind Mike Trout, that would be scary. You know, and if you think about what else the Angels did, if they could get Josh Hamilton as he was in 08 and 09, mm-hmm. you know, that, would be, that, that lineup would have been incredible. And it didn't pan out, and we're still paying for it. It's weird that you talk about that now, but to this day, the Angels' front office is getting hammered for the mistakes of the past. Years later, you can go back and think, well, Pujols, they never should have signed him. And hindsight being 2020, they're probably right, at least not for what they, they paid for him. But at the time... You go out there and you're getting Josh Hamilton, you're getting C.J. Wilson, you're getting Albert Pujols, and you're going to take your shot at the World Series, and nobody can blame them. Nobody can. It's just hindsight being 2020 again. You're wishing things would have been a little bit different. You're wishing that um, he could have 
he could have made a little bit longer. I guess watching him tonight and going back and looking at film and watching his stands from 2008, 2007, 2006, and you can automatically see the problem. The stands is different. It's, it's his legs. His legs are gone, and we all know it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's man, age, is, age is such a depressing thing. It really is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, uh, what he used to do was, was, I mean, I remember distinctly sitting at a sports bar with one of my buddies, and uh, the Cardinals were playing the Reds. Homer Bailey was on the mound. Brawls was at the plate, and I looked at my buddy, who was a Reds fan. I said, hey, Brawls is about to launch one. He said, no. And Brawls line drive a home run to dead center field. That's, that's the kind of stuff he used to do on a consistent basis. It was just nuts. He, uh, I, I saw something on Twitter today that said Mike Trout said that playing these games at Bush Stadium, because every, I mean, I'm not going to say that the Cardinals fans are the best fans in baseball. That's not for me to say or do anything like that, but they are really good fans. And Trout said something to Pujols about how all of these games felt like it was, you know, a postseason game all the time. And Pujols turned around and said to him, you know, I, I lived that every day for 10 years. And, and sometimes I wonder if Pujols wished Maybe if he had stayed in St. Louis, it would have worked. It, it would have ended up even worse for him here because there's no DH. There's nowhere for him to go except for first base, and mm-hmm. uh, and there there is there is some uh, debate as because I mean no one no one thinks that he's not going into the Hall of Fame. Though people do ask the question: Is it possible he goes in with an Angels hat on? Simply because I don't know if you read up on on how the his relationship with the Cardinals front office ended but it wasn't good at all and he felt very disrespected by it so I, I don't know what do you think do you think he goes in with an angel's hat oh i think he goes with the cardinal's hat i think it's i think it's pretty clear he'll go with the cardinal's hat <laughs> and um i wouldn't blame him you know you win a couple world series there you have your best years there you go back and you have the relationship with the city you have there and and um he spent most of his career there. I, I can see that he would put the Carl's hat. And I guess the one thing I do want to ask you about in terms of what, you know, you got to watch the tail end of the series. You got to watch the game tonight, I'm sure. You know, what kind of feelings did that evoke in you as you close that book now on seeing him play in Bush Stadium? I, I loved it. I couldn't wait for this series. Um, you know, like I said, we had some, we had some, uh, pretty heavy family stuff going on towards the end of this week, and I wasn't able to catch a lot of the games live, but I was looking forward to it so much that I went back and watched the games after the fact. And I would just fast forward to his at-bats, because Pujols, like I said, Pujols was, was, the neck, was, was on track to be the next Stan Musial at the time. And I believe he probably still will be that the Cardinals fans. There's no doubt he goes into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. There's no doubt in my mind that he probably ends up taking a job uh, with the Cardinals organization after his time, uh, his, that personal service contract with the Angels is up. He, uh, I think in a, in a season where the Cardinals are so up and down, where I think, I think after tonight they're two games out of first place, but they've been as far back as eight, and they can't seem to find any consistency. They can't seem to, you know, the pitching is awful. There's just, you know, the Cardinals are sitting in third place. And it's not that they're out of, out of range of a, of a postseason spot yet, but things aren't what they typically are in St. Louis or what St. Louis fans have become accustomed to over the last few years. And seeing him in Bush Stadium one last time, seeing him hit that home run, getting the hit, I believe it's been a bit of a balm and provided a sense of nostalgia. 
not just for me, but for a lot of Cardinals fans in a season that's been terribly frustrating. I look at your pitching staff, man. I see how you guys pitched us. I think you'll be it all year. You know, you'll you'll get together. There's too many good hitters in that lineup to not figure it out at some point. I don't know how you haven't figured it out this far, but you'll figure it out. Well, you, I mean, I love Paul Goldschmidt. I rock a Paul Goldschmidt jersey, and I was super pumped that the Cardinals got him. Even happier still, they signed him to an extension. <clears throat> they essentially gave him the Pujols deal, is the deal that uh, Pujols turned down. Uh, if you can believe the reports uh, that were out there. And uh, right now, he, he's got a better batting average than uh, Pujols, but the uh, slugging percentage and the on-base percentage isn't much better. So it's it, there, there's a lot of frustration. that the, the you, you'll, If you pay attention to the Cardinals and all this season, Derek, man, the Cardinals just, just whoop these dudes 22 to nothing. They won't get another hit. You know, or another run for like three games in a row because it's it all happens in bunches, and the the pitching staff is is no. <laughs> I I guess we can beg to differ, but we got a, well, we got Michael Watka who can give up you know seven runs in a third of an inning every time. I'm just going off what I saw in this series, and I guess pitches very well. Pitches very Michael well. Michael is a great high contact team. Yeah, and Watka uh, Watka actually did all right against the Angels. Um, which is so ironic because most Cardinals fans want him gone, but I think he's like, uh, if you look at the stats, just the raw numbers, and that actually what happened, uh, he, he he would appear to be one of the better pitchers, but he's not. Uh, you know, Michaelis is there. Adam Wainwright uh, is there. Um, but it, it's all kind of just middling right now. This. They do need to figure it out. I'm hoping for a trade of someone like a Trevor Bauer, somebody like that to kind of help bolster the staff. Little piece of uh, trivia for uh, for your listeners. So, with Albert Pools there um, in Bush Stadium, that is uh, him, Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, are the only three uh, people left, I believe, playing today. That's uh, that was a part of the 2006 World Series. Justin Verlander, Justin Verlander's still around. So, those four guys are the only ones left, I think. But um, those are those are the only Cardinals left out of all those teams. I mean, well, Pujols with the Angels, but uh, yeah, that many of them left. That makes me a little bit sad because Yachty and Wayno is on the way out too. Even though I'm pretty sure Yachty's an android at this point. <laughs> the way the way he's playing, man, he's got a couple years left. <laughs> all right, so Moose, can you let people know where they can find you on on Twitter and all social media where they can find your show. Yeah, yeah, um, we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You just search for Locked On Cardinals, uh, your daily St. Louis Cardinals podcast, and you, uh, if you search for just Locked On Cardinals, it'll pop up too, but I believe they got a football one um, by the same name. And uh, on Twitter, uh, you can find me just at Moose Michaels, and uh, the, the show one is at Locked On STL. All right, awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and maybe one day we will talk to you for a World Series that would be very nice. Uh, Mike Trout is a guy that deserves to have a ring. I hope so. I hope you know, it looks like they're building something up there, and I know a lot of Angels fans are not, or don't believe that, but if you watch what they're doing in the farm system, you can see it happening. So we'll see how this goes. Well, I mean, if you want to get rid of pools, all Artie Moreno's got to do is just eat all the salary, and the Cardinals will take him back. <laughs> and it might come down to that, man. It might come down to that. All right, well, you have a good one. You too, man. Thanks, Derek. 
So, John, here's my thing about Albert Pujols. I mentioned it in the interview that I think that a lot of Angels fans are hard on him, including me, uh, based on the contract and not really the person. It's The Angels made the decision to sign him to this deal. The 10-year, the $250 million deal. He signed it. Should they have signed him to this deal? Probably not at what they're paying for him. They made the call, right? So why should we hold against him? I don't think we should. They went for it. At that time, they were going for it. And they knew that long term, it wasn't going to, at the end of the contract, it wasn't going to pay off. But they were going for it at that time. They swung, they missed. And now, you know, you got to pay the piper because to get him, you gave him that long contract. And I don't blame him. Just like I, you know, I, you know, I'm not a, a Kobe fan, uh, uh, but Kobe took that last year, you know, that big fat contract at the end and they offered it to him. And, uh, you know, you're going to offer me money, even though I don't des- I'm not worthy of it. Um, you know, I think 99 percent of athletes will, and, and human beings will, will take that offer if you're giving it to me. I'm, he's not demanding it. It was given to him. It's kind of, you know, talking to Moose there, he mentioned during the interview that he really hoped at some point here, real soon, that Albert would retire. And I think we all feel the same way as well, that it's getting to be about that time. You know, we're more practical. We're practical in that, hey, you know, dude, you're costing this team a lot of money. You don't need all that money now. You, you know, uh, you can, you can, you, know, you can retire. Okay. Um, their feeling is over there in St. Louis. Listen, you've done everything you can do. You, you, all your averages are going down every year. Like right now, he's having around 300 career average, and you know by the end of the year, if not early next year, he would be below 300. And so why, you know, why do this to yourself? Retire. You're done. And you know we lo- we love you. That's their view out there in St. Louis. It's okay. You know. <laughs> You know, you are a legend. And I don't know. I mean, he has 16 RBIs in his last 16 games. He hit well tonight. We have to accept who he is. He's he's not able to do what he did. And you can look at his crouch. Look at his batting stands. He can't bend. He doesn't have the bend he had before. And that's why he's lost his, his average. That's why he can't hit for average like he did before. The holes in the swing are bigger because he cannot hit the way he used to hit, and that we're talking about in terms of the stands. All that in mind, John, what do you want to see from him at this point? Well, as long as he can be around, I mean, you know, we can talk about athletes, you know, staying longer than they're supposed to. Uh, there's, a, I mean, a long history of that, and uh, in in every sport, you know, Jordan came back. They all, you know, we, we, n- nobody can seem to, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, uh Norton. I'm thinking of people that hung on way beyond their prime, and and I don't think any of them we really remember as that that person they were, that athlete they were at the end of their career. They were we remember them for their prime, and I wonder if Albert, you know, because I think it's just easy to say he's sticking around for the money. Um, I wonder if it is just a love of the game that he just truly does not want to leave the game. And he wants to finish out his, you know, he wants to finish out his contract. I think he realizes he's not going to get another contract from the angels. And I'm not sure of anywhere. In fact, they even acknowledged it today on the game tonight. They said, you know, this is his last time ever in, in uh, St. Louis. 
uh, because of the interleague series and the fact that you know that he's probably not going to sign another contract. So um, what do I want? I want him to be at the the best he can be. I mean, and unfortunately, I, I can't turn back Father Time. So I just want him to uh, to uh, be the best that he can be. I honestly don't see them sitting him down. Um, and this se- this season, this game, this series has just really told me the Angels aren't going to make big changes here. Um, I think this is what we are, and this is what we're going to be for at least a couple more years. Um, but I, I hope I'm proven wrong. Well, I don't know. I, it depends on free agency. I, we have gaps in the farm system. I will argue and bicker to the day that the farm system has been must massively improved. Okay, however, there are gaps and there's some pitching gaps with starting pitching that, especially the ace level, and it wouldn't surprise me. And I expect the Angels to go out there and try and find somebody to be an ace. Uh, we're looking at Garrett Cole, right? Garrett Cole's the guy everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. So, I expect that. I don't think they're all that far away. You need some more consistency out of the lineup. If Otani comes back and is halfway decent as a pitcher, not even the pitcher he was, just halfway decent, at number three, okay, you're, you're good to go. I just don't see that being what so many people on Twitter are saying it is. Like, you know, this team is lost. They're not doing anything. Go fire Epler. No! Let's see what they do this offseason. If they do nothing this offseason, if they don't pursue an ace type of pitcher, if they don't make the necessary changes, then I think everybody has the right to, to go at them. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they've been kind of banking on this offseason coming up to fill a couple of those gaps and make a run at it. I, I agree. They've been making a lot on Twitter about uh, the lack of our prospects in the top 100 while they're totally ignoring the ones that have been promoted. That's why we don't have as many as, you know, you figure there's 26 teams, 100 prospects. That would be an average of four per four per team. Yeah, so, four, yeah. yeah, three or four per team. And that's if you're average or at least, you know, so uh, I just, yeah, I did see you. You're having a conversation earlier. Uh, I saw on Twitter uh, and um, I just, these people, I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't want to say what they are. I don't want to see it, say anything uh, negative, but I'm just saying they just fire Artie, fire Epler. And <laughs> the plan has, you know, I mean, it's coming to fruition. We have Griffin Canning. We have people coming up. And like you said, the, we're just starting to get into Billy Epler's um, range, his talent pool, where he's been actively in part of the uh, of the recruiting. The, so... I agree. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm fine. I'm I mean, you know, I mean, hopefully we hey, wait we get we get uh, a couple aces and all of a sudden we're we're a World Series contender. I will be first in line to buy tickets, but I'm patient. Is the moral of my story, I guess. Here's my thing. This is my big complaint overall. All these people are saying Artie doesn't care. Fire Artie. Fire Epler. It's like they're ignoring everything around the Pujol signing. <laughs> Why did they sign Pujols? They just signed Wilson. They signed Hamilton. They signed Pujols. They went for it. And why did Artie go for it? Because Artie went for the World Series. The guy does care. When does he ever tell anybody no to what they need or want? That's all I want. I want somebody to tell me a trade that Artie vetoed or a signing that Artie said no. I mean, I know maybe not everything's public, but I know of you know I, I know of no, no I have no no I have no no free agent that Artie said 
ah, that's too steep for my my book. So I, I, the, I mean, the Epler thing, I mean, I can, I again, I'm not saying I believe it. I agree with it. But I can understand that. I do not understand the Artie Moreno. We have one of the best owners in Major League Baseball right now. And uh, you may not like his decision, his hiring choices, but you can't blame Artie for this. Well, I know. I still, but I still believe in Billy Epler. I do, too. I mean... And they're even they're, you can complain about his signings, but the signings were what they were. The ages weren't going to sign these guys for long term. They they rolled the dice, and and most of them it didn't work out. But it's not going to hurt them long term. And you're hoping you find, you know, you find a little bit of father time helping out with, with these guys, and you hope you can find lightning in a bottle. If it doesn't happen, it burns you for one season. Would you rather him do that or go spend, you know, go give Matt Harvey three years for seventy million dollars? You know, or sixty million dollars, or whatever it is. Would you rather go overpay and give them longer years? You took a shot; it didn't happen. Let it go. I, I, it bothers me with Epler. If we don't, it's we're getting to the point now where that farm system has to start bearing fruit, and it is. If the farm system is bearing no fruit right now, then this is a whole different conversation. And there are yeah, the two. All the people, just real quick, all the people that are complaining about the one-year contracts, would you rather be stuck in a three-year contract or a four-year contract with some of these pitchers? I mean... (laughs) That's just what I said. People want to get mad at these guys. They don't realize... Again, I feel like we're saying this ad nauseum on the podcast. Dear Lord, you don't realize the damage that Jerry DePoto did. You don't... They destroyed the farm system. It was absolutely wrecked. It destroyed any kind of hope of providing depth in this organization. And you want to know why this team has struggled for the last five years on the field? It's because you had no depth. You had nobody to call on when people got hurt. You had nothing. You had nothing. So this year, when someone gets hurt, you had Cesar Puello sitting there waiting for you. It sucks that he's gone now, by the way. But he was there. You had death at the AAA and AA level to call on when you needed it. That's his actions. It wasn't just drafting people. It was finding good veterans to be ready as well. So, you know what? I don't want to hear it. I'm done with all this garbage about you're going to trash these guys. Again, a year from now, if it's still the same stuff and we're not seeing fruit, I'm with you, man. I'll be, I'll be leading the charge saying change is needed. But I... I don't believe that. Give him another year or two and see what happens. Because he's almost there. That farm system is almost... Those guys he drafted for this first draft are now making their way up into the majors. Let's wait and see what happens. I couldn't agree more. And and if it is, if it is the same next year, the middle of next year, we'll just re, we'll just replay the our our podcast from this year. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> well I mean, at, at this point next year, you should be you should you should be seeing more fruit. That's what I'm saying. It may not be I perfect, absolutely. but you should. I'm be expecting more next fruit. year. Yeah, I'm expecting more next year. I, 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 I'm not expecting not a lot this year. I'm, you know, but I am expecting more next year. I am definitely. I think we'll be more on a lot of the pages. I don't think I'll still be. T- I don't think I'll ever be saying already uh, sell the team, and I don't think next year I'll be saying fire Epler. But I will be more demanding. Well, just kind of say where I'm at right now. I'm saying. I would like to see this team finish. A, I think it'll meet my expectation if they finish around 500 this year. Okay, or a little bit higher. That would be my expectation considering the bats and their lineup and, and some of the improved pitching we're seeing. 
Now, next year, I'm expecting, given the progress of what we're seeing coming from the minor leagues, um, coming, you know, in terms of drafting, in terms of possible free agent acquisition, I'm expecting a 90-win team. And then, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm around a 90-win team next year, I'll be happy. It's really 2020 into 2021 where I think, I'm seeing, hey, listen, this needs to happen. You know what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, we just need to see improvement is what we need to see. And I think, and we have seen, I think we have seen improvement this year. Um, so, I mean, as long as we just, as long as you keep getting better, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. All right. So one more segment here. We just want to go ahead and, and, and talk a little bit with Jay Paris, who wrote the book on Shohei Otani. I sat down with him earlier this week, got a little bit of input on the story and why he wrote the book. And now I want to share that with you. So check it out. Here's author, journalist, Jay Paris. Alright, I am here with Jay Paris, the author of Shohei Otani, the amazing story of baseball's two-way Japanese superstar. How you doing, Jay? Hey, doing fine, and uh, warms my heart that you're uh, covering the Angels like you do. I've listened to podcasts. Uh, you're, you're on spot. you uh, as keen as ever. I know you're uh, a pro doing the Rams, and the uh, Angel fans are lucky to have you uh, tracking their team as well. Well, I appreciate that, but we're trying to make some things happen of it, and it's also really nice to see some Angels books coming out, which is why I want to talk with you, because quite frankly, there's not a lot of stuff on the Angels out there, outside of your book and Ron Goldman's books. I haven't really seen much about it, and to to get you on and talk about your book and why you did it and so on and so forth, I figured it'd be a neat thing to do. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Well. We're glad to have you. So right away, what inspired you to write a book on Otani this first year? You know, I, I heard about this cat over in Japan uh, through some, some baseball scouts, friends of mine, and they were telling me this guy could hit and he could throw and he could run, and, and he did it all with a big smile on his face. I go, well, you know, <laughs> that sounds pretty compelling. And then I saw, like, a, a many Americans, uh, that 60 Minutes show on, on Shohei and kind of uh, told about his life and, and told how he uh, was – you know, he was all about baseball. I mean, here was a guy who was making $2 million a year, a Japanese uh, highest player, paid player in Japan. And, and instead of living in a big penthouse, he, he lived in the rookie dorms with the other young players and got $1,000 a month from his parents and wouldn't go out at night. He would just go back to that dorm room and study video and try to get better and get his nutrition and get his rest. So uh, it, it kind of reminded me really, Derek, when I was a kid, when we were playing literally, because we all hit. And we all played in the field, you know. And then as you go up the ladder, as you, as you get older, uh, they usually ask you to pick one or the other. Or baseball makes you pick one or the other because it's such a difficult game. And, and, and just that nickname, you know, the Japanese Babe Ruth. I mean, how can you turn away from that? So, you know, I was just intrigued to see if this guy could pull it off. And I was among the doubters. I, you know, I have that much respect for how difficult the Major League Baseball level is. So uh, I was intrigued by him, by the talent. I was intrigued by his mind. You know, this is a game built around failure, and here's a guy who wants a, a double dose of that. And I was intrigued by the, the joy he played the game, just the reverence he had for it. And really, if he could pull it off, he would be a transformative player. I mean, he would change the way baseball thought about baseball players. I mean, it's been 100 years, Babe Ruth, since somebody had done this. So uh, on a couple different levels, it, uh, it really struck an interest for me, and he happened to do it with my favorite team, which was the... Uh, the Angels. 
So your book is actually relatively short. It's an easy read, uh, as opposed to many of the big biographical books that are out there. What made you take that avenue to kind of keep it short and focused? You know, it was it was a quick write. You know, uh, some of the other books, the Rams books and Chargers books, I did a, a little more in depth, a little more meaty. This was a, a, a look at how he he got to Anaheim, how that trek was from Tokyo, and then kind of a a month by month chronicle of, of this historic, amazing uh, rookie season. And and that I, I and I wanted it to be accessible to kids and and to children and to teenagers, and I wanted them to to, to really live Shohei, and you live Shohei by by dreaming big. I mean, this is a big dream this guy went for. And where a lot of people told him, hey, pick one or the other, and he would look at him and say, hey, the only thing I like better than pitching is hitting, and the only thing I like better than hitting is pitching. So he had this dream. And then he went for it. You know, go for it. Go for that dream. You know, you know, shoot, shoot for the moon, and you might land on a star. And just he did it with a big smile, and he did it in a courteous manner. And, and he always had other people in mind. So... You know, I, I have a lot of kid readers. I have a lot of uh, younger teenager guys, high school people even, that kind of grasp to that uh, notion of that you really can do something extraordinary. This guy did it. You know, it doesn't have to always be the status quo. You can uh, forge your own path, if you will. So I wanted to make it so that the children and kids and, and the adults could read it too because, you know, we can all live Shohei. We can all go for it. We can all... Uh, chase that dream and and better than that we can all do it with a smile and be a good teammate that's on and off the field it's also interesting because you base this book more not just for adults but for teenagers and kids it's a little bit different though because now the kids have to face a certain reality that not everything ends the way you want to go with him having tommy john surgery you're chronicling that and kids actually read that and to see his attitude in terms of how he responds to that trial in his life yeah, you know, baseball is baseball, and, and I think that's what makes him such a great teammate. I mean, this is a guy who, who has empathy for everybody else. They, they asked Shohei at the beginning of the season, you know, what's it going to be like with 50, 75 Japanese media members, you know, tracking every step, taking a picture every time you touch your, your hair or, or just your cap. And he says, I'm okay with it. I'm worried about everybody else. I don't want my teammates to be bothered. I don't want them to get in the way of the, of the, of the teammates' work and, and how they go about their business. And he always has that uh, empathy for others, like if he's eating sunflower seeds on the, on the bench. Well, he'll spit them into a cup. That way the clubhouse guy doesn't have to come by later and be bothered by sweeping. If he gets a walk at the plate, he won't go to walk down first base and be flinging his, his elbow gear and his shin gear and his protective gear off as he walks. He takes it all off, folds it all, and waits for the bat boy. And the bat boy comes and he hands it to him very graciously. So he's all about other people. And I think that's kind of what endeared him uh, to, the, to the angels and to the teammates. They, they saw this guy who, who's taken on failure twice, you know, two times being a hitter and a pitcher at this level. And he's always worried about everybody else. He's, he's not worried about uh, uh, what, what's, what's going to happen to him. And, and I think that's one of the uniqueness things about him is, is when he came over here at 23, he didn't really come with a big entourage. You know, most Japanese players, when they come over here, they're a little more advanced in their age and their career because if you, if you come after you're 25 years old, that's when the big payday is. I mean, he left millions and millions of dollars on the table by coming over here at age 23. So he just kind of showed up and he had his translator and uh, he went to work. So, you know, that, that made him extremely popular with the others and, 
and he's like everybody's little kid brother. I mean, the angels love, you know, flicking him in the ear or trying to light his cleats on fire or, or trying to poke him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Mike Trout in particular, you know, when he showed up, Mike Trout just, you know, wrapped his arms around him. He said, this guy's with me. And, and when he got that first win in his first uh uh, performance his first outing in Oakland. I mean, you know, they put him in the the laundry cart and they gave him the beer shower and they pushed him through the shower. You know, that that's yeah. how they they uh, christened it. And and when he got his first home run, his first of that in Angel Stadium, uh, you know, nobody moved. They gave him the complete silent treatment. So he came back to the dugout and he had to do imaginary high fives to people with nobody moving. And then of course they exploded in the excitement. So, but that's how he is in Japan. I mean, they do surveys, Derek, that, you know, they'll ask elderly Japanese men, who would you like to be your grandson to be? Shohei Otani. It's a landslide. They ask women, what uh, Japanese figure would you want your daughter to marry? It's Shohei Otani. I mean, the guy is just so popular. He, he's like Elvis and Tupelo. I mean, he is so popular over in Japan that, that uh, it's hard to comprehend, really. And you got to remember, our national pastime is their number one sport. They love baseball, and they really love Shohei Otani. And we learned that the hard way when we started building up Talking Halos and getting active on social media. We had a hard time getting followers, basically because so many of them were Japanese and weren't really going to follow us <laughs> because we're, right. we're in English. <laughs> so they're all over Twitter. They're active and they're following him like fanatics, and that's what they are because they love Shohei. Now, fast forward to this year, he's still getting going, uh, but the real concern, I think, for long term is returning to the mound. Based on your research right. and what you've been learning about him over the course of months and now over a year, do you believe that he will return the mound after recovering fully from surgery, or are there too many concerns about him being a two-way player with having having had Tommy John surgery? You know, I think there's always those concerns, but I think what he has working in his favor, you know, and he's already, if you want to say, ahead of schedule, he's already playing soft toss, he's already extending how far he's throwing. Uh, one thing is he's so fluid. I mean, it's an easy 100. It, that sounds a little funny, but it's not a, a jerky, a violent motion that uh, that produces that pitch. But he's going to be 25 years old. And, the, and these guys have Tommy John surgery much later into their careers and come back, come back fine. Now, again, it's a serious surgery. And when you have to lay out, you know, a, a year basically before you can pitch again uh, competitively, you, everybody reacts differently. But... You know, I think his age is, is such a factor working uh, working for him and, you know, the level of fitness he has. So uh, is it a concern? Yes, but I, I fully expect him to come back uh, just as good as ever, and, and that's being a top-of-the-rotation guy. And, and, and that's another thing that's amazing about him. But, I mean, he's not a number three, number four pitcher in your rotation. I mean, he, he's top-of-the-rotation stuff. And then he's not a, a little slap hitter. He, he's a middle of the, the lineup guy. I know last year at one point, Ian Kinsler, when he was on the team, he says when he's running the bases after a home run, you forget he's the ace of the staff. And when he's taking a perfect game into the seventh inning, you forget he's your cleanup hitter. I mean, nobody does this. Nobody hits a ball 500 feet, throws it 100 miles per hour, and gets down to first base in under four seconds. You know, that's Saturday morning cartoons, a guy doing that. And, and Shohei somehow does it. And uh, I'm still amazed by him, and, and he has got hot lately. I mean, he, he, the, uh, the home runs are coming, and, and him and Trout back-to-back, they call it Trout Tani, you know, in Anaheim. And when, when those guys are going, uh, he's just now really getting out of his spring training after missing the first month 
uh, with his elbow. So uh, I'm expecting big things for the bat as he, as he focuses on that. And he's getting better against left-handed hitters. He's just a he's just a, a good hitter who who swings very effortlessly, and and he can when that bat goes through the the hitting zone, it's again like his pitching. It's not a violent motion. It's very. Uh, it's almost like a ballet move. Uh, his, his body control is amazing, but he made the adjustment. You know, you know that in spring training, uh, everybody was going, is this guy going to make it? He hit 125. He had this exaggerated leg kick, and they were busting him inside with the fastball, and he couldn't turn around, uh, couldn't get around on it. He, you know, he was, uh, he was concerned. And, uh, you know, Billy Epler, the general manager, and then manager uh, Mike Sosha, of course, they downplayed it, but everybody's going, hey, you know, the book gets out quick now at that level, and they can throw inside fastballs on your knuckles and, and see what you do with that son. So he got a hold of uh, Ichiru, uh, Suzuki, and, and asked, if, if, what am I doing wrong? How can you help me? And, uh, and Ichiru said, uh, let's FaceTime and, and, and we'll talk. And he said, no, uh, I have too much respect for you to FaceTime. I will come to your house. So he came, and this is during spring training, and he, he, he went to Ichiru's uh, condo in Scottsdale, and you can just imagine a 23-year-old kid who looks like he's 17 holding a baseball bat and ringing the doorbell, and his Mr. Suzuki home basically here's a guy 20 years older. But, but they sat and talked, and uh, they hashed it out. And, and it's funny, that, you know, somebody asked uh, Ichiru if, if he was like a father figure, uh, uh, to Shohei, and he goes, I, I understand what you're saying, but really it's, it's the opposite. He is so much stronger mentally than I am. I should be the kid, and he's like the father. It just shows you the mental component that he has. Will you write a follow-up on him about his recovery and return to the mound when it all happens? You know, it's possible. I, I mean, this this book is, has been incredibly uh, well-received. Uh, the rights were bought for it in, in Japan. It was translated in Japanese, and you know, it just seems like people cannot get enough get enough Shohei. And, and what's amazing about it is it, this book, of course, sells in Japan and in Anaheim and the L.A. area, but around the nation they, they carry this book. And wherever Shohei goes, you know, the Japanese uh, fans show up and they show out. And it's, it's Angel fans are, or Angel games are an event now. And it, it reminded me on a different level when I was a kid growing up, when Nolan Ryan pitched, I mean, Angels used to get eight, nine, ten thousand people for a game uh, back in the seventies. Except when Nolan Ryan pitched, because you never knew what was going to happen. His, his stuff was that electric. You know, there were some nights he took throw two hundred thirty-five pitches, but he was going to stay in there. And and that's much like the Shohei. Uh, you know, his first Tuesday night when he pitched uh, against the Red Sox, they had more people than they had on opening day. Uh, they hadn't sold out a Tuesday night game in Anaheim. They don't think ever, but forty-four thousand people were there. But it just weren't—it just not the people. It was how they reacted. They were banging drums and they were wearing headbands and they were chanting and they were singing. I mean, it almost had a, a world baseball classic feel to it on a Tuesday night in Orange County, which, which was uh, pretty telling. So uh, you know, I, I'm always game to, to update the uh, the story because really, it's just starting. I mean, this this guy—you know—he could play for fifteen, twenty years and. And no matter what happens, you know, that first year was was just incomparable. A guy didn't know the language, didn't know where to eat, didn't know the mounds, didn't know the hitters, didn't know the pitchers uh, or the language or any teammates, really. And, and he just kind of, to have the mental capacity to block all that out and, and perform at a high level, uh, I think was pretty special and shows you what he's capable of in the future. So in the meantime, 
what are you working on now? Because you're usually a football writer, from what I understand. What I remember Chargers, right. Rams. Now you step into baseball. Where are you going next in the meantime? Uh, you know, the football's getting ready to crank up. I'm, I'm covering uh, the Chargers and the Rams for uh, Forbes.com. And with, with them moving into uh, the new stadium here in 2020, there's, there's a lot of moving parts up there. The Rams, you know, fresh fresh off making the Super Bowl, they certainly fell short and are bummed about that. But that's an exciting team that, that's uh, got a heck of a roster. And then the Chargers, you know, they were 13-3. Uh, and three. They had a, their best year since 2009, and they're loaded on both sides of the ball. And, and I know they, they get the short shift for the uh, publicity in L.A., but that's a good ball club, too. So uh, those two guys are going to keep me busy. And, and then, you know, tracking the Angels, the MLB.com, and also do some Padre stuff as well. So, you know, it, it, it always seems like somebody's playing in Southern California, and hopefully I can be there typing about it. All right. So can you let let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your book? Sure. Uh, they can get the book at the Angels Team Store, Big A Team Store. Uh, they're, they're covering it there. And then uh, they're carrying it there, excuse me. And, of course, uh, all the Barnes & Nobles across mm-hmm. across America and, uh, and Amazon and, and the regular spots there. And, and then on Twitter, I'm uh, at uh, the letter J, J Paris, uh, P-A-R-I-S, underscore sports. And uh, I appreciate them picking it up, and I appreciate them uh, showing it to, to the other kids or, or people that are want to go for something. And, and remember, like you said, you know, show a – it wasn't an easy ride that rookie year. I mean, people were devastated when his elbow got hurt, but he was, uh, he, uh, he, he could have very easily shut it down when word came in, in September after that night in Houston that, that his elbow would need surgery. But he noticed everybody was, was sad and he noticed everybody had a, had a negative vibe and Shohei's all about turning around that, uh, Turner frowns into smiles and he went out and, and went uh, three for four and hit a couple home runs right after he, he found out he was going to be gone. So, you know, for him to be the rookie of the year, uh, not only the, the third rookie of the year for the Angels, but the first one named ap- not named after a fish following uh, Tim Salmon and Mike Trout. <laughs> All right, folks. So just <laughs> you, I, I didn't know to say to that one. <laughs> but... <laughs> All right, folks, I have read the book. It is a nice, quick, solid read, good information, lots of little stories on the side about different people kind of surrounding his recruitment to the team and what Otani means to the game right now. So check it out. It's it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's a very solid read. Again, that is Shohei Otani, The Amazing Story of Baseball's two-way Japanese superstar by Jay Paris. Thanks again, Jay, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, man. Don't worry, I got to, as they say. And Kanichiwa to all your listeners. Yeah, I wish I could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers. All right, folks, it is time for us to go. It's been a heck of a weekend watching our Pujols play in St. Louis. All right, folks, it is time for us to hit the road. We do need sponsors, though, so reach out to us, talkinghills at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing and you want to help us keep the lights on, you can also leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453. Our numbers are going up. We're starting to compete with a, with a couple of the big boys out there. So, hey, while you can, lock in some nice rates. Also, don't forget us on Twitter at Talking Halos or search for our page on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, DC Apollo, D C I A P A L A, and John, John Crane at Jace Crane John. Don't forget us on Spreaker, Apple Music, Spotify, 
Stitcher. We're everywhere. We're every Google. We're on Google and iHeartRadio. So check us out there. So for John and everybody else around here, this is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy, have a great one, and we'll see you tomorrow night for our Reds preview. We're out of here. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.